Bibles to Mark chapter 1, please. Mark chapter 1. We, uh, today is our last, um, last, I, never, I shouldn't say last, because it'll never be our last. It's our, it's our last uh, sermon in the series for now. So we're doing the Harmony of the Gospels, written so that you might believe, um, and that is happening uh, throughout the years as we have time uh, to do some of those sermons in the theme. But today is our last one for, we'll do, take a break, we have a couple things going on between now and Christmas, and then we'll have a Christmas series and head into something else in the new year. But so today's kind of the, the wrap-up, kind of a place to put a, uh, a bookmark in uh, the Harmony of the Gospels. And we've been going through and, and just seeing uh, Christ present himself um, as the Messiah, and then Christ present himself uh, authoritatively in the synagogues, teaching and proclaiming the Word of God, proclaiming powerfully uh, with the power of the Word of God that we are to repent and to believe in him. So there's, there's this message that's being uh, proclaimed that is that's paramount to everything. And then, then Christ leaves, uh, leaves the synagogue, and, and he, he, last week we saw him uh, cast out a demon, and, and this week we're going to see him uh, heal people and cast out demons. But what we're seeing is, is this addition of, we have the word of, of God being preached and spoke, and then we have the addition of the actions following suit of that as well. All the while, this is there to validate that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. So we're going to see that uh, more clearly today. Uh, as we look at the sermon title today, it is, it is the right Messiah. That's the sermon title today, the right Messiah, or, or the right kind of Messiah. Um, there are a lot of people who put uh, hope in other people or other, other things to be their God, to be their Messiah, to be their Savior, and, uh, and he, is, he is the right kind. Uh, those other things are fail, failures and will never live up to uh, who Christ is. So we're going to look at that today. He is the right Messiah. So I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump into Mark Chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your love. We thank you that you've allowed us, um, God, the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ, as a church family, God, and even if it is messy sometimes, we, we thank you that we can be united for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, God, we're here to worship you, and we're here to grow to be more like you. God, to, to give up our, our thoughts, to give up our preferences, and God, anything that we would uh, bring along as baggage, that we would trade that in, God, for your righteousness. And God, we would pursue holiness. We, we, we would want to be the people that you have created us to be. So God, today as we look to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, that God, we would, we would see it for what it is, God, that we would be challenged, God, that we would be inspired to see you for who you are, and God, that we would be convicted and we would repent of sin and turn towards you in faith and in faithfulness. We ask these things and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. And uh, we had just seen the scene before where he, uh, where there was, this was last week's message. You can catch that online if you weren't here. Um, but they, he, he was preaching with authority, and then he cast out a demon uh, out of a man who had, and the demon had, had, again, testified that this is the Holy One of God. Remember that last week I talked about that, that Jesus says he's the Holy One of God and the devil says he's the Holy One of God, but then the devil tries to deceive everyone uh, against believing that he is the Holy One of God, right? So Satan knows the truth, Jesus knows the truth, we ought to believe the truth as well. But after, after this, uh, this church service, there's a church service going on and he drives this demon out and they're leaving synagogue. This is where we pick up the story next in verse 29. Mark 1, it says, uh, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went uh, into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. 
So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all of those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So we'll look at that text today as we look at him as the right Messiah, the right Messiah. Uh, and, and again, we have these different uh, notions of what the Messiah should be. And we even have uh, in this, in Inkling, we have uh, the, the, or the disciples who have just been called to come follow him. We have them following Christ and, and hearing him preach and watching him do miracles. Today we see him uh, them going to, to uh, Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law. And, and then the whole town shows up and there's all these healings. And, and I tell you, he is, he is getting for himself a pretty good following, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, all of these people who are coming are, are, are excited to hear his authority, but then that, that transitions, doesn't it? It transitions from just hearing the word to, man, you, you healed my sister. You healed me. You, you, uh, the whole town is, is thriving right now. We are in your corner. We've got your back. Keep doing these miracles. You're awesome. And, and so there's this kind of this group of people, a fan base that's around Christ. Now, he could certainly be like, hey, yeah, this is great. Capernaum is awesome. I'm going to stay here because everybody loves me. Right, because everyone's being healed and taken care of there. But that wasn't the priority. And see, we, could, we see that happen where even, even uh, the disciples at the end say, you know, hey, everyone's looking for you. We, we want to pump you up. We want to we encourage you. We want to be about what you're doing. But they had to understand and realize it wasn't about this uprising. This wasn't about this Messiah to come that was going to now take the mob and go take over Jerusalem. It was about Jesus, the Messiah, coming to seek and save the lost. So, so we see that he may not even be the Messiah they want yet, right? He, they're, thinking, they're not even sure really what he's there for or what, what's going to happen. This is early in the ministry. But certainly they don't, they don't know the full story yet. So Jesus is there revealing himself as, as the right kind of Messiah, the right Messiah. Not, not one that would just take over and rule because he has power to do it, but he's also compassionate as well and he's full of authority. So we'll, we'll see how that works together. Today, uh, number one, we look at the right Messiah. The first thing we see here is that the right Messiah is consistent in word and deed. He is consistent in word and deed. Now, if we were to look at the Messiahs that we have in our lives, whether it's a, a leader in your community, someone in your house, whether it's a friend, or it's, it's, a, it's a political figure, I guarantee you, in their lives, especially people that are, are elected officials and the higher up you get in authority, their word and deed are not so close, are they? They'll say one thing and they'll do the exact opposite. They'll expect one thing and they will do the opposite for themselves. And that is, that is the wrong kind of leader. That is the wrong kind of power, right? But Jesus was the right kind of Messiah, the right kind of leader. So not only did he speak with authority, he also uh, coupled that with his works, with his deed. We see in the scripture there in verse 29, they had left the synagogue and they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. So again, they just left synagogue where Jesus taught with authority and everyone was astonished, right? Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once. I love this because you see almost a way we should be prayerful, right? The Messiah is there and he can meet needs. 
And, and he hadn't healed a bunch of people yet, right? That's coming up here pretty quick. He, he had cast out this demon, and, and they knew some miracles that had happened. But there, so I, I think there's a little nervousness probably in, in, the, in the household. Like, do we tell him? Do we not tell him? What should we do? And they just knew, like, you know what? We need to lay it down. We need to say, yes, we have, we have a need for help here. And, and so for you and I, that, how does that apply? Well, the same is true for us. We, we have deep needs often. And we need to be willing and, and humble enough to say, you know what? I'm going to go to him at once and tell him about it. We need to be willing to go to Christ at once and tell him about it. God, Jesus, this is what's going on in my life. This is how I need you. This is, this is how I'm feeling, and can you do something about it? They, they did that, right? They told him about her at once. They said, Jesus, I know we're here, and, and it's customary. After synagogue, they would go to lunch, right? They would go to a house, and they would eat, and they would celebrate the Sabbath day together. So that there was a reason they were going, but as soon as he came in, it's like, you know what? Let's put that on pause for a minute. My mother-in-law needs you. She has a fever, and they told him about her at once. So what did he do? He, resp- he didn't say, well, you know what? We're here for the meal. Let's, let's eat, and then we'll talk about it. He says in the next verse in 31, he went to her. Right? This, is, this is showing these actions with his authority in preaching. He went to her, he took her by the hand, and he raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. A couple things to note about that. Really, really interesting, right? First of all, Jesus is a compassionate, grace-filled person. He's God in the flesh, but he's full of grace and truth. And we see that in the scripture in John 1 in a few minutes. But, but he, he doesn't just say, okay, you're healed, now let's eat. He goes to her, doesn't he? What, what does that show? That shows concern, right? It shows love, it shows care, it shows compassion. This is who Jesus is. Yes, he was just preaching with authority in the synagogue. But then he was able to sit down at the bedside of this woman and go to her and, and grab her by the hand and say, I care for you. That physical touch is important, right? And, and that, that I'm going to lift you up, and, and you know what? You're going to be healed. And she was. So he's compassionate. And then what's neat about this, too, is, is that it says the fever left her, and she began to serve them. This is an amazing, amazing response to Christ, and we should have the same response. See, Christ, for us who have come to faith in Christ, he's healed us from sin, Right, the, the greatest disease we could ever have is sin and death and separation. He's healed us from that. And now he's, he's lifting us up, raising us to newness of life. What should our response be? The same as this woman. I love this story. Uh, it was a, a, a parishioner in, in Charles Spurgeon's church. And uh, this is a sign of anybody who truly received Christ. It's a heart response, right? The woman got up and says, Our response to him should be like that of the talkative woman who received Christ under C.H. Spurgeon's ministry and said this, Here's her response. She received the Lord Jesus, and this is what she told Pastor Spurgeon. Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, Christ has changed my life, and he shall never hear the end of it. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah we, he should, Jesus should never hear the end of it, how he's changed our life, both in word and in what? Indeed. Our life is totally, fully supposed to be his. So, yes, Jesus is is there as the Messiah, and he's consistent in word and deed, but you and I ought to be as well in our response to what he has done for us. He is both uh, powerful in word, and he is powerful in compassion and grace and in deed, and our response should be to serve him wholly. Then when evening came, so, so evening came, people could hardly wait. This is the Sabbath. So it says when evening came, why? Because everyone was in their house like counting down the hours, like when is it going to be sundown? When is the stars going to come out? What, six, when six o'clock comes, man, we're going over there because Jesus is amazing. 
And we, we've heard what he's doing. And, and what do they do? They waited till sundown. Uh, it said after the sun had set, the Sabbath was over. And now they brought to him all of those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. What, what he, he had more compassion, right? He, and this was a full day. And this is, you know, I, I, I'm a pastor. I preach all day long. I mean, I... Uh, I sometimes like to go home afterwards and take a nap. I almost need to, right? He, he's got to be exhausted. He's preaching, he's healing, he's interacting, he's loving, but he's Jesus in the flesh. He has that capacity, right? And, and he's, he's there to heal, and he does. He's compassionate about that. Um, but we have to remember this word and deed go together. We, we, we see these amazing miracles like, wow, we want this to happen in our lives, and, and that's okay to want that. But what did Jesus want more? And we'll see that as we progress. But remember what happened in Mark 1 uh, at the beginning of our, of our time together uh, a few weeks ago. It was after Jesus, or John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee. And what did he do? He proclaimed the good news of God. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe uh, the good news. So he's preaching the word. The word is going out. What's paramount to Jesus is that you and I would come to faith in him. That we would repent of our sin and turn to him for, for forgiveness. In Mark 1, 21, this is a few verses before our passage. They were in Capernaum, and he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, began to teach, right? It was a priority to teach, and they, and they were amazed because he was teaching them with authority, not like the scribes. There's something powerful about his words. And words and action came together. This is in John 1. We see that, that the word, that is Jesus, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. And that, that's really important for us. Some people are like, well, I just want his teaching. Well, I just want his healing. No, it's both. It goes together and see, he teaches and proclaims and he validates it by his, his healings and he heals and he validates it by his word. And he says, what's more important is that you would come to know me as Savior. And I'm just validating who I am to you through miracles and signs and through the word of God. He taught. And I want you to understand this. Now, Jesus taught and he touched. That's it. Write that down in your notes. That's for you and I too. He, he taught and he touched. He didn't just say something from, from the knowledge he had and from the word that he read and the authority he had as God. He compassionately reached out and loved people and touched people and healed people. How about you and me? You see, we, I think we spend a lot of time sometimes arguing with people. If you're, if you're one of those people, I want to proclaim the truth, great, do it. But we argue with people about the gospel. It's, oh, Jesus is right, it's real, you've got to trust it. And it is, it's true, you're right. But they don't care that you, what you know until they know that you what? Care. And, and there's got to be a, a relationship that gets built there. There's, there's a difference in the way that Jesus did this. Now, he, he could stand up and proclaim whatever he wanted because he is God in the flesh. But as you and I model that as well and imitate Christ, we need to be consistent in the way we live, both in word and in deed. That compassion is so, so much about what we do and building bridges for the gospel. I want to read a passage out of Matthew 9. It says that Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. You see, here, and here's the difference. When the crowds, when he saw the crowds, here, here's the difference in what we should glean from this as well. When he saw the crowds, he felt, he felt compassion for them. 
Do you feel compassion for your neighbor? Do you feel compassion for your spouse or your kids or your grand- grandparents or your coworkers, fellow students in your, in your class? Do you feel compassion for the people around you? Or are you just there going through the motions? He felt compassion. That's the difference. He felt compassion on them. Why? Because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Israel was much like that. They, their, their shepherds had abandoned the way and gone their own route. And they were dejected. But we have, we have that all through life. If you, if you and I cannot see the despair and the, the dejection in, in society right now, we are blind. People are in despair all around. Maybe it's you right now. Maybe it was you last month and you found Jesus. But see, there's hope in Christ. And that's the only hope we have. But when we see despair, we don't just, here's truth. We, we teach and we touch. We, we interact and we care and we serve people. I've called this show and tell in the past, right? Show and tell. And he goes on, he says, he he felt compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples then, he he, he saw them and felt compassion. He said to his disciples, "Um, the harvest is abundant. There's tons of people who are dejected and distressed, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into this harvest. People are ready to be loved and cared for. People are are ready to, to have conversations and build bridges in relationship, but they want relationship. They want to be cared for. They want to know that we know there's a need there in the heart. Here, here's the progression. Jesus, he, he felt compassion for them when he saw. He saw them, and he saw them with compassion. Right? And then what happened? He showed them his care. He healed them. And then what happened? He shared the truth of the gospel with them. That's the progression. You can write that down in your notes. The first thing is saw. I want to I want to have seen somebody with compassion, right? He saw, and and he had compassion on them, right? And that's the next thing is he showed compassion. So he saw them and he felt like something stirred, and he showed compassion, and then he shared the gospel. I used to call it show and tell, right? That's like the old thing in in grade school. My kids do it still. It's, it's awesome. It's hey, it's my show and tell day. Okay, great. And they find something they want to show or have a story they want to take. Right? For us, we show and tell. We show that we have seen them, right? And we show that we care. Maybe we bring a meal. Maybe we give a hug. Maybe we just stop and listen with our eyes actually interested in what's being said. And we, we build a relationship so then we can tell about the glorious Jesus Christ that we know, that we share Christ with them. So how are we doing? Jesus did it. He was consistent in word and deed. And you and I are called to be consistent in word and deed as well. Number two, the right Messiah, he knows the power of prayer. He knows the power of prayer. I, I just want to mention real quick on this, on this uh, previous passage, uh, he, he, he healed people and he cast out demons, right? And this was happening from sundown probably till who, who knows in the morning, right? It was probably pretty late. The whole town was there. But he, but he was telling, he instructed the demons, don't be going out and telling. And he just experienced that at synagogue, right? The demon had said, you're the Holy One of God. So he was testifying the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He said, no more of that. I, here's what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, because you're wrong. Don't, don't say that because you're wrong. He's, he was saying, it's on my time. It's, it's in the Father's time. It's not your time. And I will shut you up if I want you to shut up. And that's the power he has and the authority he has, not only over sickness and disease, but over Satan and demons as well. And that he will reveal himself and he will validate who he is to us as he pleases and as he sees fit. Going on, uh, number two, though, is he knows the power of prayer. So let's look at verses 35 through 37. 
It says, then very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. What a, what a great priority of that. I remember you know, David Holst and I talk about that a lot. That's one of his favorite verses. He likes to get up very early in the morning or try to model that and go pray. Well, Jesus modeled that for us. And, and this is after a full-on day, night, evening. Who, I don't know when they ate of ministry, and he had to be exhausted. That next day would, to me, be like, it is sleep-in day. This is why a lot of pastors take Monday off right there. Not Jesus. What happened to Jesus? He served and worked and served and worked, and all day long he was exhausted. And because he, the, the more exhausted he got, what? The earlier he got up. To what? To pray. To recharge. To reconnect. It's important. Very early in the morning he got up to pray. And then Simon and his companions searched for him. So they got up. Where's Jesus? He's not around. Right? And, and, they, and when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Interesting, right? Because now it's morning, and maybe the people, they were tired, they went home, and they hey, we'll be back tomorrow, Jesus. And they came back, and everyone's looking for Jesus. Well, where is he? Well, he's, he's praying. Why is he praying? Because he, he has a need for recharge. He has a need to connect with the Father, to submit to the Father. And we're going to see some of this here. Uh, I want to I show you a couple things out of Luke 22. You can, you can flip there if you want to, just briefly. Luke 22 this is what later on when Jesus goes, uh, just about, about ready to go to the cross, he, and he's at the Garden of Gethsemane. He went, uh, verse, uh, chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. So he went, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place that he told, he told them, pray that you might not fall into temptation. So right here, what's one benefit of prayer? That we wouldn't fall into temptation. I, I seek God, I want to know what his heart is, I want to connect with him, and he, somehow become very aware that he's watching and he knows, and so it's going to help me not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Like, he's like, I, what's the next thing about prayer? We can share our burden. God, there's a heavy load on my, on my uh, shoulders, this is heavy on my heart, it's weighing heavy on my heart, I want to share this burden. And I have some thoughts about it, and I have some, some things I think are right and the way I should do this. But what does he do? What's the pr purpose of prayer? He says, nevertheless, that's the purpose of prayer, nevertheless, not my will, your, your will be done. That should be our purpose as well. As well. We go to the Lord and say, God, here's, here's my hopes, here's my dreams, here's my burdens, here's my sorrows, here's what I think I should do. But, but nevertheless, not, not my will, your will be done. So we surrender, we submit to God's will. We go on, it says, uh, more fervently, so, sorry, sorry, an angel of the, from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So why do we go to prayer? So God will strengthen us. God strengthens us. Being in anguish, he prayed even more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So again, he's in anguish, he's praying more fervently, he knows the secret here, the recipe. He needs to be strengthened. And when he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. He was a little upset about that, wasn't he? He said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you won't, again here, won't fall into temptation. So there, there's reasons for prayer. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus was God in the flesh. And he still went to the Father in prayer. Jesus showed us the importance of prayer. And he also told us about the importance of prayer. So he showed us the importance of prayer here. When did he tell us? Well, that was in Matthew 6. We see the, the model prayer, the Lord's prayer there. Just before that, in, in chapter 6 or verse 5, he said this. Whenever you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. So he's given us verbally how we should not pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners. They love to be seen by people. They have their reward. But when you pray, 
go into private, in your, room, in your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret. So he's saying, don't pray like the hypocrites who want to be seen, but pray from your heart. Pray from your heart privately, you and, the, you and your father. Share what's there, be transparent, be vulnerable. And he says, also don't pray and babble like the Gentiles. So don't pray like the hypocrites and don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you even ask him. You don't need to go on and on and rattle all kinds of big fancy words off. Just, just pray from the heart. Let God hear you and he hears you. And then he, then he says, here's, here's how you should pray. Verse 9, therefore you should pray like this. And, and my question to you and my question for me is, does my prayer look like this? Do we model prayer like this? What does it say? He says, pray like this. He says, pray our Father in heaven. Your name is honored as holy. What is that saying? It's saying that we should submit to the Father who is in heaven. He, he's in heaven, I'm not. He's the glorious one. He's the holy one, I'm not. I surrender myself. When I pray, our Father, I say, God, you're, you're like a dad to me, but I'm also submitting because you're holy. So are we submissive to the Father? Then he goes on, he says, uh, he, you should pray, your kingdom come. God, your Father, your, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? He's, he's saying, listen, we have a little kingdom here and there are times I set myself up on the throne as king or ruler or you as queen and ruler or king, whatever your position. And, and we have to let ourselves be usurped and throw ourselves off of that throne so that his kingdom could come. And then at least as far as it remains or as impossible, as far as it's possible for me, that I should let him be king of my life. And I should want his kingdom to rule and reign in me. So what do I do? I, I say, you know what? No longer my kingdom I'm going to submit to your kingdom. I'm going to be letting you take the lead. You're in charge here. And we go on even more. Thy will be done. God, we, we know that your will is happening perfectly in heaven, that your kingdom is perfect in heaven. But God, right now in my heart, I need to submit and surrender my, my kingdom, and I need to submit and surrender my will to you. Again, I have my own ideas. He modeled it in the, in the garden. I have my own ideas, my own thoughts, my own will. But God, not my will be done. Your will be done. I want your will to be happening here. And let that start with me. And he goes on. He says, give us today our daily bread. And he, 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 God, we pray to God. God, give us what we need, both in the word and through sustenance, nutrition, whatever we need that way. Give us what we need. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Saying, keep us repentant. Keep us turning from sin. Keep us forgiving other people and being gracious to other people. This is the model prayer. This is, this is a prayer that will, will strengthen us and will grow and, and produce fruit in our lives. And Jesus knew that he would be submissive to the Father's will, and he was God in the flesh. But he went to the Father to be submissive to his will. And he was strengthened, and he did it to avoid temptation, or not avoid, to withstand temptation. And you and I should as well. How's your prayer life? How's my prayer life? Are we relying on the power of God? We should be. Finally, number three, the right Messiah, not only was he consistent in word and deed and he knew the power of prayer, he has the right priority. He has the right priority. We go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 38 and 39, we'll finish this up. We have to understand that in this right priority that, that Jesus has, yes, he knows that he's healed people, he knows that he's going to heal people, he is compassionate and gracious, but he's not the healthcare system. And, and Peter comes up and says, everyone's looking for you. What were they looking for? Anyone? More what? More miracles. Thank you. More miracles. They're, Jesus 
We've got them lined up again today. We've, we've actually got some order to this today, and we've given them numbers and appointment times, and they're going to come in. No, 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 that's not, that's not what Scripture says. But that, that's what, they're there. They're ready for miracles, right? Like Jesus, they're lined up again. Everyone, everyone is looking for you. And what did he say? Look, he has the right priority. He said to them, let's go on. Let's go on and to the neighboring villages that I might preach there too. This is why I have come. Again, has a huge fan base in Capernaum. I mean, he has, this, he has some power going on there. He could, he could make this movement bigger and bigger and bigger and, and make it a mob heading over to Jerusalem and take over pretty soon. What does he decide to do? I'm done here. For, for now, I'm done here. Question, are there people still ready to get healed? Yes. He's done. He's moving on. Why? Because of his priority. What's the priority? Let's go to the neighboring villages that I might preach there too. This is why I've come. Preach what? Preach the gospel, right? Preach the good news of the kingdom, to repent and believe. He came to preach the good news, right? His, his ultimate priority was not to deliver people from the temporal ailments they had, but to save them from sin and eternal judgment. That's, that's the beauty of the Messiah. His priority was not just to fix you now in this life. His priority was to have a relationship with you, with you that would last and endure forever. See, he desires that we are with him in heaven forever. And he has made a way through dying on the cross and raising from the dead to conquer sin and death, right? The final death. Because all of these ailments that were cured were quick, temporary fixes. Why? Because they would eventually die. It did not make them immortal. It did not make them whole. It made them feel better. It might have made them feel whole. But in their soul, they were not. Many people that Jesus healed never, ever were whole in their soul. They were only temporarily fixed. And then they died, separated from God forever because they lacked faith in Jesus Christ. They did not believe what he did. He told, he told this priority over and over and over in different, different circles here. Uh, Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees and scribes, they were complaining to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because Jesus was. He would he'd gather himself sinful people. And he replied, it's, it's not those who are healthy that need a doctor, but those who are sick. And he's talking about in spirit here, but he's, he's relating it to the physical. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but call sinners to repentance. What does that mean? All these scribes were not, I guarantee you, they were not righteous. These Pharisees were not righteous, but they were self-righteous. They were full of themselves. They, oh, we have it all together. We don't need Jesus. Okay, good. Those who don't need Jesus, I won't go to you. I'll go to those who know they need Jesus. So we went to the sinners, and the, the notorious, the, the depressed, the, the uh, downtrodden. And he said, repent. Repent of your sin and be forgiven and find life in me. In Luke 19, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Again, the, priority, the, the right Messiah has the right priority, and the priority is our soul. Again, in Mark 1, we, we saw the priority there. He, he, he came in after John was arrested. He was proclaiming the good news. And repent and believe the good news. That's what he wanted people to do, repent and believe the good news. That was the word, right? But he matched that with deed to validate his message, to validate the fact that he was the Messiah. John 20, it says that Jesus performed many other signs. This is, this is our theme verse. and I'll, I, I, Well, th 31 is. This is 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in, in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. Like, and we see many people being healed, many miracles being done by Jesus here, many. And John goes on to say, that's not even the half of it, right? There's many others. I mean, it could fill books 
so, so full of what he's done here. He says, he's done lots of others, but these, these miracles, these accounts of the life and work of Jesus, they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want you to understand this verse is so important. It does not say we want you to know Jesus and be healed physically by him. He may choose to do that. Awesome. But if you don't choose to believe in him, you will not have life eternally. And that's the problem. So what is the, what is the goal? These are written that you and I would believe that he is the Messiah, not just a miracle worker, that he's the son of God, and that by believing in him, and what he's done on the cross and through the resurrection and, and as he atoned for my sins and your sins in believing in him that we, we would have life in his name and that life would be eternal life. I want to read one more passage out of Romans chapter 10. It's so, it's so important for you and, I, you and I to believe, to trust in Christ, to call on him and be saved. Romans 10 beginning to 13 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not healed, saved healed for their soul, secure, saved, atoned for, given a righteousness that they can never earn on their own. But goes on, shows the priority of of, of Christ, of sharing the gospel message, and it shows that it should be a priority for you and I. It says, if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher or someone telling? And how can they tell unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Jesus knew that. He he established that truth. And he, he showed that truth in real time. That yes, he is the Messiah. And he validated that by his healings and by his miracles. All the while, keeping the priority of sharing the gospel message of atonement through faith in Christ. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then he has given you and I now this opportunity to go out into the harvest. And, and he says, how will they go if they're not sent? Well, go, I'm sending you. The word of God sends you. Go out and tell the world about Jesus. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. His word and his works that those around us might believe that he is the son of God and that by believing that they also would have life in his name. Amen? All right, would you stand with me as we pray and continue to worship? Father, we are amazed at who you are. God, as we have studied uh, Jesus, and we studied the life and work of Christ, the Messiah, God, it's, it's so important that we get that these are not just fairy tale stories. We're not stories for our amusement or our uh, shock and awe value, but God, these are, these are stories that are written that we might believe and have life in your name. So God, help us to believe. Help us to know that you are the one we should believe in. And Father, help us to model what you have modeled for us, to be consistent in word and deed, that, God, we would not only teach, but we would touch. God, that we would find our power and our strength through prayer and we'd yield our our heart and our will and our little kingdom to yours. 
And God, we would know the top priority is to share the gospel so others might come to know you as well. We thank you. We give you all the praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.